The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast minutes after a truly shocking Miami Heat blowout, blowout road victory of the Boston Celtics to end an epic seven-game series full of 2004 Red Sox nostalgia Columns already written about whether this is the greatest comeback in the history of NBA playoff basketball that now go into the dustbin of history. And this really makes the score 2-1 in the latest playoff trilogy between these two great franchises. 2020 in the bubble, the Heat 1-6 in the conference finals, a series that left Boston feeling like they had really missed an opportunity. 2021, the next year, they both get smacked Rather poetically, again, they're together, smacked in the first round by Milwaukee and Brooklyn, respectively. 2022, last season, a near incredible, historic, epic, unforgettable collapse by the Celtics, staved off by Jimmy Butler's three, falling short at the end of Game 7, and now here, a 3-0 lead, a 3-3 comeback, and then an emphatic Game 7 win for the Heat um, that ends the series, ends the trilogy, sends the eighth-seeded Heat to the NBA Finals, gives Denver home court advantage at the very last second. They can cancel their flights out of Denver's airport, which is in the middle of nowhere. I'll see you there in a couple of days, Denver. And this obviously will raise some very uncomfortable questions for the Celtics, particularly the future of Jalen Brown, who ends the season with an 8-of-23 stinker, 8 turnovers to five assists a chronic problem for him and I suspect the lead story and and again KP we're recording this we don't even know who the winner of the Larry Bird trophy is right now between Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin the lead story is obviously going to be Jason Tatum turning his ankle 26 seconds into the game I think very reminiscent of James Harden's hamstring injury flaring up on the first possession of the Nets Bucks series two seasons ago and yeah that stinks and Tatum wasn't himself he couldn't move uh, Jimmy Butler blew by him in the fourth quarter after the Heat decided we're going in for the kill. We're going right at him. We're going to make him move. He blew a layup at the very first possession of the fourth quarter with Boston trying furiously to get back in the game. Caleb Martin followed it up with a three because, of course, Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin. Let us pause now <laughs> to praise Caleb Martin. I have always had a soft spot for the Martin Twins. I did not in my wildest dreams. See Caleb Martin nailing sidestep threes, baseline fadeaways, one-on-one bruising drives, shoulder-checking drives, up-and-under finishes at the basket. And I thought his back-to-back scores at the end of the third quarter, um, and then, of course, going into the fourth quarter, but he had the he had a sidestep three off a Jimmy Butler drive at the end of the third quarter, and then a fadeaway almost at the buzzer to restore Miami's lead a little bit what an incredible series for Caleb Martin if he wins the Larry Bird trophy no objections to it I'd probably lean toward Jimmy Butler I honestly don't really care the Miami Heat are going to the finals and we're just being informed that Jimmy Butler has won the Larry Bird award actually that's okay because Mr. Kevin Pelton I wrote after the Boston Celtics game four win that it was great that the Celtics had rallied in the series and made it a series that it was awesome that the 2023 shot quality trophy will go to the Boston Celtics. They can put that maybe, you know, in a closet somewhere cause it's worth nothing. 
um, that none of that really mattered all that much because when you go down 3-0, your margin for anything, any event, any outlier event that is unfavorable to you is gone. And what I wrote in the piece was, Max Struess hits seven threes, you're done. Tatum goes four of 20 in one game, you're done. And none of those things had happened through the previous three games that Boston had won. And unfortunately for everyone, the thing that happened was that Jason Tatum turned his ankle. Nobody on Boston other than Derek White, who did his very best in the second half to get them back in the game, could replace that production, could replace the hub of an offense that just kind of fell apart. And you know what? That's just life in the NBA. It stinks. It's a stinky way to end the series. But he didn't win this game by two points. They won it absolutely going away. And... Boy, oh boy, the Miami Heat, Mr. Pelton, are going to the NBA Finals. What are your initial thoughts on the game? Yes, you started by calling this a shocking result. And I think the fact that the Heat won this game wasn't really terribly surprising to me, even as heartbreaking and one of a kind as the end to game six was. Like, I, th- I think like everyone else, I expected Miami to rally and put up a good effort tonight. But if if the Heat won this game, I assumed it was going to be them outplaying Boston in the clutch, which is how they've gotten you know, two of their three wins previously in the series. Only the game 3-1 is the exception. And instead, you, know, you sort of talked around this, Miami, the combination of the Tatum injury, Miami shooting 50% from three, uh, as my buddy Mark Hobner noted on Twitter, the third time in this series they hit at least half of their threes. They did that three times. In the entire 82-game regular season. 14 of 28 from three. You said they hit 50% of their threes three times in 82 games and three times in this series. Yep. Yeah, that's not (laughs) going to make anyone in the greater New England area feel any better, especially since the Celtics shot 9 of 42 from three. And again, you don't get a shot quality trophy. You got to make the shots. The Heat made their shots. And yeah, please continue your initial thoughts on the game. Yeah, this one, I feel like it, it certainly was an outlier shooting performance, but Boston's offense, other than the stretches where Derek White improbably took over, and we had the Derek White-Caleb Martin duel in the Eastern Conference Finals that all of us predicted. Uh, aside from that, it was often stuck in the mud. It looked like they were playing in the clutch the entire game this time, basically. You know, they there wasn't the kind of ball movement that we saw at the start of Game 5 that really broke down the Miami defense and created a series of good looks. They had makeable shots. They should have shot much better. They perhaps could have won this game if they had shot better. But I also think that there are certainly structural things in the Boston offense, including Jalen Brown's turnovers, that you know they're going to have to address to improve their chances of o- overcoming poor shooting nights. Well, at, at some point, inconsistency, being inconsistent, being a team that people talk about is like, well, why is it always so difficult? Why do they have to make it so tough on themselves? Why is it always, is always so difficult? Why do they have these weird stretches in the last five minutes of games where either their defense falls off or their offense just seems to lose the plot? Um, at some and they and people talk about it, and I've done it too, as if as if this habit, as if this um, as as if this sort of personality quirk is a thing. That is 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 a is a almost random malfunction that is holding the team back from what it truly is and should be. And at some point, that discussion shifts to no, it's just who you are. You're just an inconsistent team. 
This is just what you are. It's who you are. It's baked into your identity. And I think the biggest reason when people ask me, why are the Celtics so maddening? They have so much talent. Why? And again, Malcolm Brogdon was injured too. We should probably mention that. And Tyler Hero was injured. We could do the injury ledger. Just put it out there. Both teams are dealing with injuries. It's a thing. My personal theory on that question, and, and sometimes this what's been different about this season and this playoff run, not even this season, they were second in defense this season, but at this playoff run since the first two games of the Atlanta series is their defense has been a little more up and down than it has been in the past. E- even in game six, they got away with a million horrible mistakes, just walking away from Miami shooters, miscommunications, and that's just that's that's been a, kind of strange. But it's it's on offense, I just think it comes down to their top two guys are a pretty good playmaker and a negative assist to turnover or even assist to turnover guy playmaker. And by pretty good, I mean, yeah, Tatum had 11 assists in game, was it game five he had 11 assists? Um, he has games where he, he, he does that and he makes the right simple pass and they ignite these swing, swing, swing sequences. He's a five, five and a half, four and a half, six and a half, whatever it is assist guy and Jalen Brown his career assisted turnover ratio is even in the reg- in the playoffs it's negative and if you're asking me why is this team so maddening that's the place I'm going to start maybe maybe part of it is the coaching we could talk about that you know Joe Mazzulla went from being a scapegoat to like oh maybe he's figured something out that Joe Mazzulla I loved how when Jalen Brown got four fouls in game six and the Celtics tried to get him out of pick and rolls like pre-switch him out of pick and rolls people are like Boy, that Joe Mazzulla really made a great adjustment, learned a new tactic. That's every game. That's every game for every team in the NBA. Like, I just, it's, it was crazy to see that framed as like, he's growing as a coach. Anyway, that's the reason I think more than anything that they have these stretches. And it goes without saying that that is probably going to be at the forefront of their decision now with Jalen Brown, who's eligible for a supermax. And I've already said when they were down 3-0 and they let go of the rope and kudos to Boston, I, I can't believe they recovered from that shellacking in Miami when they just stopped playing. I, I just don't think it's a no-brainer that they're just offering him the supermax. And if you don't offer him the supermax... That's not going to go over well. I just don't think there's going to be room for a lot of negotiation with Jalen Brown. And it doesn't really take a genius to figure out the next steps from there. But zoom out for me and just sort of what's your takeaway from this? If you're Brad Stevens and you're running this team and you've seen them make the finals last year, conference finals this year, deep playoff runs year after year after year, starting with the Kyrie teams in 2018, what's your takeaway from all this? So I think first off, sometimes people will ask, can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum win a championship together? And the answer is undoubtedly yes. Like if you can lead the NBA finals two to one, have game four at home, you know, be that close to, you know, in control of the finals at that point, you're capable of winning the finals. They didn't do it, but that doesn't mean they're not capable of it. Just as the fact that the Celtics didn't come back doesn't prove that no team can come back from a three nothing deficit. Like the fact that this got as close as it did is evidence that eventually someone is going to do it, even though it's going to be very difficult for the reasons that you said. So with Jalen Brown specifically, I think my the biggest question I would ask is, you know, does he have more trade value on that supermax extension 
under contract for at least five years than he does going into the final year of his contract. And I, you know, I think you and Bobby Marks talked about that after the, after game three and kind of, you know, you felt like he would have a lot of trade value, even is a potential rental just because there would be a lot of teams would be confident in their ability to re-sign him. But, you know, I think that market that pool gets a lot bigger if he's under contract for five or six years. And then it's teams that aren't free agent destinations or aren't confident that are they, they can re-sign him, become candidates as well. That's, an, that's, that's a very important point. Bobby made it too. It's, it's probably correct. I, I also think that if negotiations fail in July and he is on an expiring contract, and the Celtics decide to investigate the trade market for him, and I'm not saying any of these things are going to happen. I'm using the word if for each one of them. I I think as that trade market develops, obviously any team trading for him will be trading for him with a wink-wink understanding that, yes, he's going to resign there long-term. Obviously nothing's ironclad, nothing's signed in blood. Um, Either way, I think he would have an enormous amount of trade value despite the fact that, again, the playmaking just hasn't come along. It just hasn't. It just hasn't come along. Um the other, I want to talk more about the game because the game just ended. It's fresh in my mind. I mentioned the Caleb Martin stuff at the end of the third quarter, which I thought were just a big, big five points. Maybe the other defining stretch of the game to me was the beginning of the second quarter when Jimmy Butler hit the bench for what ended up being about five and a half minutes. It was 22-15 Miami at the end of the first quarter. And... By the time Jimmy Butler came back in the game at the 7.46 mark, so it was four and a half minutes, not five and a half minutes, apologies, it was 36-21 Miami. So they had added eight points to what had been a seven-point lead. And you don't often remember stretches like that in, in, in games because they're early second quarter. People are not paying as close attention. That was as important as any stretch of the game in Boston losing. And if you just look at the baskets that they scored, some of them, Miami in that in that series in that sequence Duncan Robinson hits a three when Marcus Smart gets smashed by a great rescreen from Bam Haywood Highsmith picks Tatum clean and goes coast to coast for a dunk Gabe Vincent hits a contested three Grant Williams got hung up but I thought it it was pretty good defense Marcus Smart tries a crazy lob pass to Jalen Brown against the zone that hits two people's hands and then hits the backboard and it's a fast break for Miami and Caleb Martin hits a three in the corner in the right corner Kyle Lowry runs a pick and roll with Bam. Marcus Smart goes under the screen. He spins under it. Kyle Lowry's like, cool, I'm just going to shoot a three. Makes a three. I mean, some of that is bad defense. Some of that is you give this Heat team an inch, and they are taking every goddamn bit of that inch. You give them an opening, and they're making you pay. And at some point, maybe that magic will run out. It kind of did for a couple games of bad Miami shot making as Boston got back in the series. But it came back as soon as they as soon as they needed it, and I, I thought they only combined for seventeen points. But I thought what Lowry and Vincent gave Miami tonight was was maybe not big, but what they needed, and just enough. And even like that gave Vincent Bam pick and roll. It was one of those things that the Celtics weren't as comfortable switching it, and the Celtics going to more switches as the series went on had kind of got the heat stuck in the mud a bit and and Gabe Vincent it's he's never gonna light the world on fire he's never gonna dunk he's never not a big high flyer doesn't have like the sexiest hesitation dribble crossover move his ability to go north south and make tough high off the glass layups 
Boston's hesitancy to switch on that. He scored some buckets out of it. Bam, not tonight. Bam was not good offensively again tonight. Um, has gotten some dunks on it in the series. And in this game, the help got Butler an open three. And then uh, when they helped off him on that pick and roll, he attacked the alley. He attacked the diagonal gap. Joe Mazzulla wanted a traveling call on that play. He was probably right. But just gave Vincent's ability to give them a ball handling option. And the Lowry stuff I mentioned before, I thought were big for them. And you just look at the plus minus. Kyle Lowry plus 26 in 23 minutes. Duncan Robinson plus 17 in 19 minutes. That's that second quarter stretch when Butler sat and like, you can play those minutes even if you're Boston. You can't lose them by eight. You just can't. Yeah, especially after they had struggled the way that they had with Tatum on the bench at the end of the first quarter. And look, at the risk of sounding like Al Pacino, like you can't have in any given Sunday, you can't have those inches in a game seven. You you can't give Miami anything. Like this is the point in the series where you are supposed to be dialed in on every single thing that the opponents are doing. And, you know, with the low scoring in the first quarter, we sort of saw that. But in the second quarter, the Celtics focus waned a little bit. Is it has a tendency to do. And that's too costly to happen at this stretch of a series. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. What a series. What do you think of Jimmy Butler winning the Larry Bird Trophy in Boston over <laughs> Caleb Martin? Well, it's uh, it's uh, justice for Tim Bontemps giving him the one vote is the losing player in last year's conference finals having scored like 82 I points for, or whatever he did. I forgot about that. Uh, I 
you know, to your point about him versus Caleb Martin, in the third quarter, I was kind of prepared to tweet something like, you know, if Caleb Martin gets this trophy, it will be, I think, remembered retroactively, a little like Andre Iguodala winning it over Steph Curry in 2014, where part of the reason that you're able to do what you do offensively as a role player is because the star is the central focus of everything your team is doing in the opponent's scouting report. But then Caleb Martin played so well after that in the late third quarter in the the early fourth quarter and was creating a lot of his own offense that I would have been totally fine with him winning the award. And one of the interesting what ifs of this Miami season, uh, last year, Martin was, I, I can't remember if he was restricted or not, but you know, they, they had the ability to resign him using their exceptions whether they needed to because they had non-bird rights on him. And if somebody had offered him like $1 more than the taxpayer mid-level exception in hard-capped Miami, if they had, you know, matched that, it would have become a really difficult decision, I think, potentially for Miami because of their aspirations of making some big in-season deal that never materialized. Instead, they were able to get him for the taxpayer mid-level, and that is looking like one of the best contracts in the NBA. And he has one more year left on his deal. Next year, he's locked into the Heat, so all the ka-ching stuff that was going on during the game from Reggie Miller on the broadcast has to wait a year when he has now a player option for 24-25. He's just he's just a really good player. And he played out of his goddamn mind, and it was great to watch, unless you're a Celtics fan, in which case was not so great to watch. Maybe not if you're a Hornets fan either. Yeah, that's a good one. Broke up the Martin twins. Let 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 one of the Martin twins go, and the other one didn't play. Didn't play so much. Um, what what else do you take from this? I mean, you're again. You you mentioned just. Oh, okay. Why I'm okay with Butler? I mean, I'm okay. Like, who cares who wins? I mean, it's cool that he that he won. It's not this like I didn't even remember the Tim Bontemps thing last year. I I guess I probably would have voted for Butler too, just because. The series was really, I don't know when it was quote-unquote won, but it was won as much in those first two games in Boston as it was at any other moment in this series. For them to go and take both of those games in Boston and just put the Celtics on the back foot, and Butler was the driving force in those wins. And you just think of this, the, the wild narrative for the Celtics. You know, game three, I, I talked about it. They just They just didn't play. They stopped playing. And you rarely see a team stop playing with, at this level of stakes and, and fight back like this. Game four, they go down 61-52. They go on an 18-0 run. They come back and win that game in Miami. I think at some point um, they played top golf. at some point. They played, they played at top golf, which was, I guess, a, a fun enough experience to get the series to six, but not quite fun enough for them to win in seven. But top golf is cool. I like top golf. Um, game five, relatively comfortable win at home. Game six, holy smokes, game six. I haven't gotten a chance to talk too much about game six because it happened over the weekend. As I was watching game six, and Bam was missing everything, and Jimmy was missing missing everything, and the Heat role players, because mostly of their movement, and, and even more than that, Boston just messing up every basic coverage you could mess up, hitting enough threes to keep Miami in touch with the Celtics, I, I even wrote in my notes, this feels like such a classic, how the hell did this team survive the first half? And then the stars show up just enough to get them over the finish line, and it ends up being the most demoralizing loss possible for the Celtics. And it was! And then Derek White, like a bolt of lightning, Jalen Brown said, 
came out and saved the day, and he's justifiably a hero. It's an all-time great postseason play. I know people say things like, well, it's not as important because they lost Game 7, and that's that's there's some truth in that. It it still is an all-time great postseason play. Um, what did you think of that play? That I mean, I don't. I there, there was some scrutiny, I guess, about Struess's defense on the inbounds pass. Derek White was the inbounder. He's leaving to help on Tatum and Brown, and then Bam has to box out two guys at the same time because Tatum and Brown both crashed the glass. And here comes Derek White. I just chalked that one up to like that thing missed in the only way it could miss for Derek White to go and get it, and I don't really see any fault with what Spo did there. I think it was more a great play by Derek White than it was a mistake by Miami because I think usually in that situation, you just kind of drift to the corner and stay there, even though, as he said afterwards, like there was no good reason for him not to crash the glass. Like there was there was no negative to that. So, But I think just like the instinct for players in that situation is my role here is to be open in the corner. That's what I'm going to do. And then kind of just watch the shot when it goes up. I, so uh, again, I think it was him doing something above and beyond the call rather than something that Miami didn't do. Are there any other things you take from this game if if you are in the Celtics brain trust that, that matter to you going forward in deciding not so much whether this team can win a championship because as you said if you get that close you can win the championship but whether I can I I, I as Brad Stevens and Wick Grouse can have enough flexibility around Brown and Tatum making as much as they're going to make and they've earned every penny of it obviously um and the new CBA coming in which could already make for a tough decision for them with guys like Horford and Brogdon and guys like that um can, can I build the right team around those two guys with them taking up that big a percentage of the salary cap well you mentioned decisions on Horford and Brogdon down the line I mean the more interesting decision is coming up this summer and that's Grant Williams is a restricted free agent and there have been times this playoff run where he's been out of the rotation and it's looked like yeah, any sort of credible offer could pry him away from the Celtics. But then, you know, over the midst of the comeback, he became an indispensable part of this, especially as they kind of needed him with Brogdon, unable to give them almost anything. And frankly, in hindsight, it probably was a mistake for them to play Brogdon at all in this one, given, you know, his inability to shoot. Yeah, I mean, Grant Williams, I never understood it. I've harped on it enough. I, I just didn't get why he wasn't playing. I just didn't get it, and he was minus nineteen tonight, so he did not cover himself with glory in this in this last game. But um, he's been fine for them since he started playing again, and I think ultimately, you know, whatever you want to lay at the feet of Joe Mazzula, thirty-four-year-old coach thrust from the second row into this job uh, amid a scandal, basically. Um. I think he's kind of been overblamed as most coaches are, and then overcredited over the last three games for things that are just like, what, what, what are we really trumpeting? This is like the the like greatest thing since sliced bread. I I didn't like uh, their late game stuff against Philly in games one and four, particularly in game four. I thought it was just a disastrous bit of mismanagement across the board from them. That was the they ran out of time game, and James Harden hit an open corner three game and all that. Um, you know. How much of the offensive up and down stuff can I pin on him? Maybe everyone harps on the timeouts. Cool. To me, it's always been the big man rotation. That's that's where 
I think there was a, 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 a sense of internal confusion and in some corners frustration over, I don't understand why the Robert Williams, Al Horford thing, this, I'm, I'm parroting points, why that Al Horford, Robert Williams thing kind of went away. I, I have said many times, I thought they would just come out guns blazing with it in game one of the Philly series. And it took until way too late for them to go whole hog at it. Um, and the Grant Williams thing. And I, I just, again, all you have to do is read Jason Tatum's public statements about how much he wants to play with Robert Williams and how much he wants Robert Williams to start and how much he enjoys playing next to him. I, I think that was not their undoing, but, um, and even and even tonight, Robert Williams had an impactful, I thought, fourteen minutes. Fourteen. You know, I, I just didn't think I didn't think it would I understand the hesit I understand the spacing and the five out offense and all that. I just haven't really understood the minutes all season. Yeah, I would have guessed he played a lot more than fourteen before I looked at the box score, which probably is a testament to his impact. I mean, it's kind of interesting the way things fell because this was not a good Robert Williams series in terms of playing him and Horford together. Didn't seem to work very much against Miami's small ball lineups and the shooting that they put out. Which was clear, and, and I said it on this podcast before game one and especially after game one. That was clear, and and they made the right call in going back to their small lineup. It was a, it was a solid plus for the series. But if they had won this game and had faced the Nuggets... That would have seemed like a, a really ideal Robert Williams matchup to use him the same way the Lakers just used Anthony Davis against the Nuggets in the conference finals. Not that that would have been a panacea, but uh, you know I think it would have been their best strategy. So you, you'd almost feel very differently about Robert Williams' place in the Celtics' future had the Celtics gone to the finals than based on them losing this series. Well, the other thing I said before the game, I, on Get Up this morning, I said, you know, you look at the Miami Heat's big man rotation, it's basically just gone to smithereens other than Bam. Kevin Love got benched um, in game five, second half of game five, and then entirely in game six. Cody Zeller, do we even see? We didn't even see Cody Zeller today. We saw him for two minutes in game six. Highsmith had a nice game five, disappeared in game six, and I said, Look, I, I just feel like one of these guys is going to have to... I, I think I said make two plays. Like, there's going to need one of these guys to make two plays to just survive this game. And ultimately, they didn't really even need that. They won by so much with Bam playing 43 minutes and Jimmy playing 43 minutes and Martin playing 45. And credit to Spo for... I, I thought he was maybe one game late starting Caleb Martin, but not much more than that. And maximizing the minutes those three guys play together as their three best players. But they did get a couple plays from Haywood Highsmith tonight. That pick six steal in the second quarter, they got they got something. And now you know the, the, we, this weird thing happens in the playoffs where guys fall out of the rotation, and then a new series starts. It's game one, a little bit more of a margin for error. Like, all right, let's get let's get some of these guys back in the rotation. I suspect we will see some guys back in the rotation before we talk about in very quick initial thoughts on Nuggets Heat. I've asked you for takeaways about the Celtics and their future, and obviously this is massively disappointing And the way they just fell apart in games one and two at home is going to haunt them for a long time. They just weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. They haven't been like really that good consistently since the first two games of the Hawks series. But what do you what what about the Heat side? Like obviously they have a series to play, so we're not we're not putting a bow on their season by any means. But like, what have you learned about the Heat? Because you could look, if they had lost today, if they had lost today, you know that there was going to be some taking stock of, 
Let's look at this playoff run. Okay, they barely wheeze in against the Bulls in the second game of the play-in tournament. They draw the Bucks, and I think drawing the Bucks from talking to Heat people throughout the playoff run, I think drawing the Bucks perked them up a little bit. That's been a rivalry. They faced each other in the playoffs three times. Now they like that matchup. They're not scared of it. They, they, I think they okay. All right, we like. We like the this. alternative is the Celtics, though. You just played in the conference finals last year, and, I, and certainly not scared of either. I that's fair. I just think they like. I think they like that matchup. I think they feel like they're tougher than the Bucks. Then Giannis gets hurt, and the whole series kind of turns on its head a little bit. And I realized the Bucks didn't play very well when Giannis was on the floor. Then they get the Knicks, who are a, a fine team, but that's a that's a, a let's call it a matchup of equals, if you want. Like that's a that's a series on paper that he can win. Then they get Boston, and if they had lost this game, it would have been all well. The three zero lead was kind of a fluke, just hot shooting. The Celtics were clearly the superior team. The talent was going to win out in the end, and it won out just in time. And bye bye Heat. They have big decisions to make, but they win. They won the game, and they're in the NBA Finals. So, Mister Pelton, what is your stock taking of the Miami Heat and hashtag Heat culture? Yeah. So the question on Caleb Martin's free agency, what his next contract looks like, is still a ways away, but. You've got Max Struess and Gabe Vincent both eating free agency, certain to get massive raises if they do come back. And the the most interesting stock to take about the Heat remains, you mentioned him earlier, Tyler Hero, who they've made basically this entire run without. And obviously at times they have missed his shot creation and you know just the jolt that he can give them offensively. And certainly over an 82-game season, season, you need that. But in a playoff series, he's a guy that teams can hunt a little bit. And, you know, taking him off the court has made it easier for Eric Spolstra to play lineups where you, you know, Max Struess is the weakest defender. And if Max Struess is your weakest defender, you're probably doing pretty well defensively. And the other element of that is we have seen that at least if the shooters are making threes at the clip that they have in this in the Milwaukee series, Jimmy Butler plus Bam Adebayo plus shooters is more than good enough offensively to win. Um, Chris Haynes is reporting just right on time, right on time and on target, Kevin Pelton, that Tyler Hero is ramping up. Everyone's ramping up all the time, ramping. That means they're going up a ramp. Like, am I, 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 think it means am I ramping? Am I ramping onto the highway? When I drive my car, uh, yeah, you're ramping up your speed at the very least. It depends whether the ramp is. is what if there's is, not a ramp? The direction though? of the ramp. Okay, I'm, this is ridiculous. Uh, he's expected to make his return at some point during the NBA Finals, with Game Three being the likely target. And I've been hard on Tyler Hero, and I, not hard on him, but I just said I don't think they've missed him, and I think I've even said they might be better off at times without Tyler Hero. Th- that begins to run out. If Jimmy Butler can't be like a 38% usage, 40% usage, just every single possession monster in these playoff games. And he has not been able to be that since really game. I mean, they didn't need him in game three, but since game two of this series, that equation starts to flip a little bit because you do, you just feel the void of, oh my God, we, we could use another shot creator here. And Gabe Vincent papers over it. And then Caleb Martin papers over it. And whenever that magic ends, if it ends, you'll feel that void. And this is a step up in talent 
this is a st- I don't, actually don't know how much of a step up in competition is, but this is a Denver team that's like fully loaded and waiting and has zero questions about itself and zero consistency issues, really. Um, maybe they'll need Tyler Hero. Maybe that will end up becoming a thing. Um, can I can I give you a stat about Tyler Hero's potential return? Uh, sure. If if he plays, it will be the longest layoff since in at least the last twenty five years in the playoffs for someone to come back. the The largest in that span had when Demarcus Cousins got hurt in Game Two of the Warriors' first round series, had a quadriceps strain, returned for Game One of the NBA Finals. So Hero to be injured in the first game of the playoffs to come back in the finals would be the longest in at least since 1997 you know who i think just this just my brain this this is what happened in my brain just now when i think of guys returning for the nba finals in a big role and the risk and reward of that the first name that comes to my head is jameer nelson in the 2009 finals uh magic lakers because i believe ray for alston was the fill-in starter i believe right for that magic team if i'm remembering it correctly and there was this whole like well, how many minutes should Jameer play? Should he go right back into his starting lineup? And it was a whole big thing. And um, anyway, uh, but but what I'm asking you, Kevin, is like, do you buy the Heat? Have you have you have you bought into the Heat now? Like, this is this a 100% true blue real thing? Like, this is this is a really good NBA Finals team. Like, I just. It's completely inexplicable. Like if you just look at if you just look at like what they were in the regular season, there was no crescendo toward the end. They were trying so hard to catch Brooklyn for the sixth seed and they could not do it. And the play in was what it was. There was just like not a lot of evidence that there was a great team hiding in plain sight. And now here they are in the NBA Finals. It's hard to know what to make of it, but I know they're tough as all hell and they're not going to give you anything and here they are. Yeah, I'm probably a little more skeptical just because, like, look, everyone's talked about their own three-point shooting going from 27th in the regular season to after tonight. They'll have the best three-point percentage in the playoffs going into the finals. They surpass the Nuggets. Part of that is our buddy Seth Part now is noted is guys just returning to form because this was an outstanding shooting team in 2021-22. And, you know, that wasn't entirely because of P.J. Tucker, as it turns out. Uh the other element that hasn't gotten as much attention, though, is just the opponent shot making for Miami from three has been pretty awful throughout this playoffs. And it culminates in two of the worst three-point shooting games for Boston all season long in games six and seven. One of and, which Boston wins. <laughs> yes. So because of that, I'm probably a little more skeptical. But if you're going to make the the positive case for Miami, again, this is last year's team minus P.J. Tucker, basically. And that team was one shot away from the NBA finals. We, you know, if Jimmy Butler makes that three, maybe we're thinking of this team in a different light and they made the finals in 2020 and we were all shocked by it based on the regular season. So at some point, maybe we got to believe the playoff heat unless they're coming off of a bubble run. Yeah. I think the evidence is piling up that this is just a better playoff team. than regular season team. Obviously Jimmy Butler is a more prolific playoff scorer than regular season. Jimmy Butler, Bam, for all his his up and down play on offense, at least as a scorer, his defense just never wilts ever. His passing never wilts ever, and they just have a toughness about them that is real. And you just never worry about them like wavering and suffering self doubt and quaking in the moment, even when they suffer a loss like they did the other night. It was because of a great player making a great play, and they nearly gutted out a game that really they frankly just should not have had any place winning. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's turn to the finals briefly. I have I am not on Twitter as we are doing this. I don't know what the early Vegas odds are on this finals. I would assume that the Denver Nuggets now with home court advantage will be sizable favorites over the Miami Heat. I have not watched one second of film between these two teams yet. I will do that tomorrow. I was waiting for this series to end. I suspect I will pick the Nuggets. Um, what stands out to you about this matchup at first glance? So Adam Myers mentioned last week when he was on the podcast about their, you know, Denver's dominance of this matchup in recent years, 10 and two in the last 12 meetings. You know, it's interesting that Nikola Jokic's numbers have not actually been that outstanding against Miami. He's basically averaged the same thing against the heat in that span that he's averaged against everyone else. Uh, the other thing that stands out about this series besides that to me is, Miami's zone was such a weapon for them in the conference finals against Boston, which, you know, had a good moment against it in game five, but never seemed to entirely figure it out. The Nuggets over the course of the regular season playoffs have averaged 1.21 points per possession against zone, the second highest in the NBA behind the Cleveland Cavaliers, according to second spectrum tracking. And the Heat played 11 possessions of zone, according to Second Spectrum, in the two matchups against Denver in the regular season. And the Nuggets scored 19 points on those 11 possessions. So if you take that tool out of Eric Spolster's toolbox, what does it do to what Miami does defensively, especially if they want to play Duncan Robinson? Yeah, uh, a zone against Jokic with three shooters and Aaron Gordon, one of the best cutters, finishers in the NBA, that feels like it's going to be tough. That feels like it's going to be tough sledding for for the defense. Um, one thing I'll say about Hero in this series is I, I think one of the deficits that Miami is is at to some degree in this series is the ability to really hurt Jokic in the pick and roll. And, and frankly, no team has really done it so far in the playoffs. The Suns had some monster shooting games that I thought his defense was, was fine for what it is in that series. But um, they don't really – like even Butler – you know, we saw the Celtics as the series went on start to mix in going under on screens a little bit. I mean, he's largely sort of taken that defense out of the playbook with his jump shooting. But I, I don't think they're going to be too worried about Butler walking into like 20 footers, semi contested. If you can just get a hand up, you know, Vincent's not like a huge off the dribble three point guy. Max Struess has really developed that part of his game. He's taking some tough threes, tough. Like Max Struess has made some tough off the dribble threes. Cooper Moorhead, at, who works for Heat.com, had some, has had some stats about, like, Max Struess never used to make any threes when he dribbled, and now he makes threes when he did. I think he had his most dribbles into a three at some point in this series. Tyler Hero can do that. That's a skill that Tyler Hero has that maybe if they can protect him on defense, and, and we've seen Jamal Murray be a little more ruthless hunting perimeter defenders he feels comfortable against. He went at D'Angelo Russell over and over and over again, so it's it's not going to be 
it's not going to be easy. It's not just as easy as, well, he can guard KCP or he can guard Bruce Brown or he can guard Michael Porter. It's just not that easy against Denver or really any other team. But that's that's something he has. Um, I, I You just look at the at the matchups. Jokic is a handful. Of, you, you can't stop Jokic. And Bam is unbelievable, but he's undersized. And it will just be really interesting to see how they deal with Jokic in the post and how aggressive he is trying to trying to just sort of take that matchup and seize it right away. Go ahead. You want to say something? I can tell. I mean, do you consider starting Kevin Love again? Like, this is kind of the second consecutive series, and this would be true, actually, if the Celtics had won also, where a team went small at the end of the previous series because the Lakers uh, took Jared Vanderbilt out of the starting lineup at the end of that series against the Warriors. And then all of a sudden you go up against Denver and it's like, oh man, these guys are enormous because you have Michael Porter Jr. at small forward at like 6'10", Aaron Gordon at power forward. Can you afford to play them with just one big? And also if you put love on Jokic, which you know I don't think is the worst matchup, then it allows Bam to be that help defender. Uh, is that something you consider? It's some. It, surely they will consider all of it, and we'll see. That's the thing about these series; like you're going to see all of this stuff. Uh, I just don't. I mean, sure, start Kevin Love, and maybe maybe it works out. Um, obviously, he can guard Aaron Gordon; like that's an assignment he can handle. But as we've seen when the when the Lakers tried to ignore Aaron Gordon out of the series. A Kevin Love roaming off Aaron Gordon does nothing to help your defense. No one is no one is stopping their drive because Kevin Love is the last line of defense. And B, the Nuggets will put Aaron Gordon in ball screen actions, use him as an off ball screener, a back screener, and get Kevin Love moving around, even if he's guarding nominally the worst shooter or whatever of Denver's um, starting five. And Love on and Love on Jokic is. Oof, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. He's a wily old vet. The, the hair's gray. He knows all the tricks. That's a tough one. And Bam's, Bam be a good rover, but rim protection is not what makes Bam Bam. And if you're going to have a rover, he needs to be a really threatening shot blocker, and that's not quite what Bam is. And the other thing is, like, you would look at who the Celtics could throw at Jamal Murray defensively and look at the who the Heat can throw at Jamal Murray defensively. It's just a world of difference in the size he's going to see in this series, um, and you and you start to think of like, well, what matchup advantages does Miami have? There is one of the advantages they have is their nonstop movement and creativity and all that. And Denver, I think, can match that on offense and knows how to defend that kind of stuff. And Aaron Gordon, I would assume, will guard Jimmy Butler as the primary defender. That's a as good of a matchup as you could have for a physical brute like Butler. Um, and Aaron Gordon foul trouble will be a thing like all the pump fakes and all the, the tricks that Jimmy Butler has. And yeah, Jimmy Butler can try and hunt KCP and KCP is pretty good. Bruce Brown figures to play a big role, hunt Jamal Murray, the way we've seen LeBron hunt Jamal Murray in the previous round. We'll, we'll see some of that. It's just, you know, so it's, it's a hard way to live over and over again as Jimmy Butler, just, just grinding and grinding and grinding. It's just a hard way to score enough points. Yeah, I mean, I think that may be their best strategy, though, also in terms of just like slow the game down, get shots on goal, keep Denver out of transition as much as possible, kind of like the 2015 Cavaliers against the Warriors playbook a little bit when LeBron just was, you know, controlling every possession for like 20 seconds on offense. I I do not think it's I mean, I 
no one in Denver is going to spill their guts to me about this. I would bet good money that they were hoping Miami would win this series, if only for home court advantage, if only for game seven at home. They're undefeated at home in the playoffs. Um, I think this is a better matchup for them. But look, the heater in the finals, man. Like the we're oh the 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 heater the 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 Nuggets are. I'm not saying they are, but it just this whole talking point is going to say, well, the Nuggets are probably relieved that the Heat are in the finals and not the Celtics. The Heat just beat the Celtics. Like how how relieved can you actually be? They just so the team that they just beat. You're so relieved. I don't have to play that team. I have to play the team that beat that team. Don't be relieved. It's not relief playing against the Miami Heat. It's not a great sense of relief having those dudes run into you and hit you and make shots over you and just hit you with you know a bam screen. They should make they should make media members try to get around a bam screen. That should be part of the media training. All right, we're all going to go to Vegas. Bam's going to wake up at nine in the morning and just deck all of us. With picks, that should be. I would. I would do it. It would. I mean. I think that should be part of the deal. We we'd have to sign a waiver, right? Because you you might get hurt that way. No, you don't get. You don't. The Heat opponents don't get to sign a waiver. Nobody gets to sign waivers <laughs> I, in these games. I think, there is, I think there is a liability waiver built somewhere into the NBA contract. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm up. I'm game for it. You want to talk and, about the rest of situation what? here? No, like the rest, like Denver has been off for a week now. Oh, the rest. Yeah, I forgot. They beat the Lakers, I think. Like, I, yeah. Several the Jokic had time to go back to Serbia if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, so this is something I wrote about uh, in our first look at the finals, which I, I assume is on ESPN.com now, but uh, I have not, not checked for it yet. Uh, if you look at teams that have had five more days rest going into the finals than their opponent, at least, uh, they are 10 and six in game one, which doesn't sound very good. But then if you take the, but that's partially because a lot of those teams did not have home court in the series. The teams that did have home court and the other team had to travel in addition to having the rest disadvantage, they are eight and one in game one and eight and one in the series all time. So that's been a, a consistent theme of Miami's playoff run. They have won game one on the road of every single series. This is going to be by far the most challenging one to get at altitude with this rest disadvantage. Great stuff. That's a great stat. Rest versus rust is going to be a major talking point on every show tomorrow. What would you rather have? Rest versus rust. And this is a quick turnaround for Miami. It's They're going to get out of Boston at you know, 12.30, 1 a.m. today. And I, are they stopping home? I can't remember. The, then the, their flight plans became a story at some point today. But game one is Thursday in Denver, and they're going to have to travel one of the – it's two days off between games. But that's that's a quickish turnaround. That's just By definition, they went seven games. It's as quick a turnaround as could possibly exist for the NBA Finals. It's going to be a good series. Um, it's going to be a good series. I, I, I can't wait. I'm ready to watch Denver play again. I haven't watched them play in a long time. We have – a minimum of four and a maximum of seven NBA games left in the season. We might as well just enjoy it and luxuriate in them. Let's talk about two quick offseason things quickly before I let you go. The Philadelphia 76ers entering a pivotal offseason with James Harden's free agency and some other offseason questions and coming off a really heartbreaker at home in game six against Boston, followed by a blowout loss in game seven against Boston, running into the conference semifinals while yet again in the Joel Embiid era. Fired Doc Rivers and today hired Nick Nurse 
um, who uh, was in contention at one point for the Bucks job and, according to Woj, also for the Suns' job up until the last minute here. What are your initial thoughts on the Nick Nurse to Philadelphia hire? So what I think is going to be interesting is this is a complete 180 defensive stylistically for Nick Nurse, who has been a part of the Raptors building all these interchangeable 6'8 dudes. And all of a sudden you go to Philadelphia and you've got a seven foot defensive anchor who is not as effective guarding on the perimeter or switching as he is sticking around the paint. You've also got... You know, no matter what happens with Harden, Tyrese Maxey is a big part of your future, and he is not a six foot eight dude, as it turns out. So this is going to be a change for him. It's not something he's incapable of doing, certainly, but it, it will be interesting to see how he handles that defensive personnel. And I think the same is true in a, in a sort of bizarro way on offense too, where um, I think to make up for kind of let's say just a, a sluggish strange personnel conglomerate in Toronto they just went all in on offensive rebounds and minimizing turnovers and winning the possession game to sort of form an identity where there was not one naturally here he walks into whether Harden leaves or stays a pretty organic offensive identity that you could either orient more around Embiid post-ups and nail touches and isolations or Maxi Embiid pick and rolls or Harden Embiid pick and rolls like it's it's just sort of degrees of this um and I do, I do think a couple of things are interesting to me. Um, I, I have no idea if Joel Embiid is happy or not about the hire, but he was openly miserable playing against Nick Nurse teams and just always hated, like, the, all they do is double and triple team me, this Nick Nurse guy complaining to the refs and throwing all these goofy defenses at me. Well, now you get to have him as your coach. And I also find it interesting that it's not Mike D'Antoni. Um, I don't know what any of this means for James Harden. Um, you know, I, when I was at the Combine and uh, Doc Rivers was let go at the Combine, the whispers going around were, okay, maybe this kind of increases Philly's chances from whatever they were to something higher than that of retaining um, Harden. And and Houston then, hours later, does not win the lottery uh, and will pick, what did, what did Houston finish, third, uh, fourth? fourth? I can't remember. Um, uh, so they will not get Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson unless there's a trade of some kind. Now, they're not getting Wimbanyama. I love, I, I do have to say, I love that we did on ESPN.com the, here, here's what maybe could be a reasonable trade for the Spurs trading Victor Wimbanyama. And, uh. and, and st- it was an end statement. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, Harden. Um yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I, again, I I'm sure that Daryl Morey has contingency plans for how to re how to retool the team in the event Harden leaves. I just can't. I just don't know what they are because they won't have cap space and they don't have like a great deal of draft picks to attach to, say, Tobias Harris's contract or whatever they'd have to move. Um, but certainly, in terms of in terms of a tactician and and stuff, it's it's an interesting hire. It will be. I'm also interested to see how everybody gets along because. I think the situation in Toronto had run its course for everybody involved. Yeah. Also, one of the interesting questions, I think, is, look, we're about to talk about the Milwaukee hire. Those jobs have a lot of similarities in terms of you walk in with teams that have the capability to win the championship next season if they bring everybody back. But the downside risk of what happens if some of those players leave and then long-term are Joel Embiid and Giannis Adetokounmpo going to be with those teams or are you walking into a rebuild at some point? Did you have a preference between those two jobs? 
I haven't thought about him in that way. Pro- I, I haven't thought I probably would prefer Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, certainly there were a lot of whispers around the league about like, oh, is the Philly job kind of secretly the worst job that you want to get? Is it like, what is it going to be a rebuild in two years? Who's even going to be on the team? To some coaches, a rebuild would actually give you some job stability <laughs> because the expectations will suddenly vanish. Uh, let's turn to Milwaukee where the Bucks, um, uh, after dismissing Mike Budenholzer, uh, have hired Adrian Griffin to his first head coaching job in the NBA. He's been an assistant all across the league under some great minds and great head coaches, including most recently Nick Nurse. Um, beat out Nick Nurse and Kenny Atkinson, among others, for the job uh, after what was described to me as just like and it, people around this were incredibly impressed with how the Bucks went about this process. The fact that they traveled in person to every interview, like no Zoom, we're meeting in person, we're going to break bread. Obviously, Giannis was consulted in person, I, also I was told. And just the thoroughness of the questions and the exact – it wasn't just, okay, give me the PowerPoint. It was – there was a great dialogue and back and forth. And a first-time head coach landing this job is quite a statement of faith in that in that person, in Adrian Griffin. Um what are your thoughts on that? And look, we've seen first-time head coaches have a lot of success recently in this league. I mean, uh, Nick Nurse himself is an example of that. Like Toronto took a pretty big risk to fire Dwayne Casey coming off of a coach of the year season and promote Nick Nurse from his bench. And obviously they didn't coach the same teams. Dwayne Casey didn't get a chance to coach Kawhi Leonard, but uh, the Raptors did everything they possibly could with that group in that year's that year's championship run. I, I think the other interesting thing about, and, and this applies to both of these jobs, is like there's kind of only downside to them in the regular season because it's going to be hard to be much better in the regular season than these two teams were under Mike Budenholzer and Doc Rivers. And no one is going to be impressed by whatever you do in the regular season because the question is always going to be, will it translate in the playoffs? Well, l- l- I mean, the exception I think would be if Harden leaves and Philly yeah. becomes an instantly different team, and they're like, "Oh my God, this Sixers haven't missed a beat." And Milwaukee obviously has got some big, you know, we're sitting here talking as if their roster is a certainty going forward. And Chris Middleton has a player option, and Brooke Lopez is an unrestricted free agent. Like they've got to make some pretty big decisions, and they don't have a lot of optionality if they decide to not have those players on their team, or those players decide to not be on their team. And that's Giannis is certainly watching all of that quite closely, as he was. This coaching hire. The one thing I, I've heard about Adrian Griffin is, you know, he's had he's been under Billy Donovan and Tom Thibodeau and on and on and on. Working under Nick Nurse, who love him or not love him, is one of the more creative tinkerers in the NBA. Who will throw out box and one and triangle and two and you know re- re- reinvented the Raptors' offense to whatever degree it worked around this just totally out of sync with the rest of the NBA identity of offensive rebounding and crashing four guys to the glass. I I think, and what I've heard is he, he really, Adrian Griffin really valued sort of watching that up close after working under some of the more taciturn coaches in the league to see this up close. I think he, he took a lot from that. And maybe this will be like one of those Mike Brown things where a guy sort of his cumulative experience ending in this, very different for him most recent experience for Mike Brown it was the Warriors and the whole Warriors culture of joy and passing and stuff um puts this person in position obviously Mike Brown had been a head coach several times um 
to do his best work on a team that fits him best. I think it's an interesting hire though, because it's certainly not the easiest one to make. It's certainly not the like the oh well, well all the Twitter people are going to be super impressed with this guy because I don't think a lot of people know what Adrian Griffin is is as a coach, and I I can't claim to really either. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, assistant coaches, especially if they have moved around a bit or a bit of a blank slate from that standpoint, and you know, as much credit as is they deserve for the thoroughness of the hiring process, one of the things that the Bucks and Adrian Griffin still have to address when he's introduced to the media is his ex-wife's domestic violence allegations against him on Twitter a few years ago, and you know, we've seen teams not handle that well. The Portland Trailblazers, when they introduced Chauncey Billups, I think only made that situation worse with the uh, way they tried to tamp down questions about it. So I, I hope that they're open and transparent about why they, they still decided to hire. Uh, we, we shall see. Um, I believe Adrian Griffin's daughter has defended him pretty staunchly um, amid all of that. But here we are, KP. The Miami Heat are in the NBA Finals after tonight's win. Um I said on Get Up this morning that if I had to pick one outcome type for this game, and you can broadly put them into like four buckets, comfortable Boston win, comfortable Miami win, close Boston win, close Miami win, I would have reluctantly and with my stomach feeling queasy, queasy is the word I use, picked a a comfortable Boston win. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. I don't know where comfortable Miami win would have ranked there. I, I it could have even ranked second. It could have ranked second. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it would have ranked third. Maybe it would have ranked fourth. But that's what I mean, we got. I mean, close Boston win, even though it happened in Game Six, seemed pretty improbable yeah, cl- to me. Close Boston win might have been fourth, and then you just have to decide between, you know, close Miami win or blowout Miami win. We got blowout Miami win, and it's uh, quite a moment for the Heat and quite a not great moment for the Celtics. And now we get the NBA Finals. The thing. That all this, who's going to leave in free agency and who's the next unhappy star and what are the rumblings about this player getting along with that player and the offseason machinations that draw the most clicks and they do draw the most clicks and they do draw the most listens. They're all about this series right here, trying to win it. The last series, two teams left playing for the NBA championship. All those moves, all those rumors, the whole reason you're interested in them is because they think, you think rather, they can get your team to this point where the whole world is watching and the whole world will be watching. Serbia will for sure be watching. The Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat open in Denver on Thursday. There will be a lot to talk about. Mr. Kevin Pelton, thanks for staying up late with the Low Post Podcast, sir. Beauty of the West Coast, not even staying up late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brag about Pacific Standard Time. Mountain Time, I'm coming, baby. I like the in-between time zones. I think they offer the best of both worlds. Like when I wake up, at 7.30 in California, KP. Like, the whole world's been going on fast forward. What did I, what did I miss? I like my, I'm going to give Mountain Time. I like Mountain Time. I like Central Time. I'm excited. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.